Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Bill's lesson today is in Luke chapter 15, titled, The Lost Son. Hello, good morning. Am I on? Check, check, check. Can you hear me? be good if I put this on my ear, I think probably would work. There we go. It's one of those things you have to do. When you're gone for three weeks, you can't remember what you're supposed to do. Had a great time in Israel. I know you missed me, but not that much. Pastor Greg did a great job, and uh, the one-man band, as I call him, just able to sing, dance, and preach all at the same time, and amazing. We're going to pick it up again here in uh, Luke 15. Had a great time. We went to uh, Jordan for the first two days. We spent eight or nine days in uh, Israel, and then my wife and I abandoned the group, and we went to Greece for another four or five days, and so we had... How can you not have a good time, right? So that's what we did. And uh, many blessings, uh, always a blessing to go to Israel, always a blessing to go to the land of the Bible and uh, be reminded of what God did and putting, connecting those things together. You read the Bible all your life. Uh, but, but do you have to go to the promised land in order to understand everything God has for you? No, you don't. No, you don't. It's nice to be able to go. If you can't go, how many people in, in, of all the ages who have not been able to travel to Israel and yet believe God for everything that he said? Blessed are those who have not seen Jesus said and yet still believe. So, great if you can go. We, I encourage you to go. We're going to be uh, taking, by the way, in case you want to go, in case you felt left out, 2024, we're going back to Israel. So this time of year, it's going to be in the fall, October, the end of October, 1st of November. Uh, first couple of weeks, and uh, we'll go back to Israel. If we get a trip, if we get a trip together, we'll we'll go. And uh, as long as God allows us to do that, and if we can do that, then I think we should. So, uh, I encourage you that way. You'll be looking for sign up sheet. We'll be putting that up here pretty soon. We have to get ahead of the curb kind of thing because things are backed up in places like Israel, every place because of COVID. So people didn't tour, they didn't travel, and now they are. And so, man, there is a backup. We had, there was a ton of foreigners in Israel. All of, we wanted all the foreigners to leave so we could, you know. <laughs> Luke chapter 15, last time we were together, we began, uh, the last couple times we were together, we began looking at these parables in Luke. And parables of fabulous works of art. No better storyteller than Jesus. Able to take very common Everybody understood stories and make very powerful, very pointed spiritual uh, applications with them. And so that's effectively what you have here in the parables, and none better than these three that we find here in Luke chapter 15. Uh, the parables, even though we talk about the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son, the parables are actually not about those things. We, we tend to focus on ourselves. We read the Bible, what do you think about? Yourself. And I'm not saying that's a bad application. I mean, you need, we need to apply the Bible. I mean, obviously we do. If you understand, the Bible is not written because, at least initially, because we don't understand ourselves. We need help. Don't get me wrong. The Bible's written, the purpose of the Bible, number one, is because we don't understand God. That's the purpose of the Bible. It's not that we don't understand a sinner's heart. And, and again, do we need more information? Absolutely. We can always use more instruction. But I, I can tell you what a sinner is. I've been that all my life. I've pastored sinners. My, I can't get a perfect person yet. I've, we keep trying to get them to join the church, and perfect people won't come here. We have nothing but sinners in this church, just so you know. So I know what sinners are like. I know how they think. What I don't know, or what we're short in, especially the world, is we're short in the knowledge of who God is. What is the heart of the Father? 
Jesus is not telling these stories, not, again, not that we can't understand sinners better. That's not the primary purpose, because we need to understand the heart of the Father toward sinners. Would you not consider that to be an important thing? Heart of the Father, the, the creator of the universe, he holds your eternity in his hands, heaven and hell, or his decision? Wouldn't you like to know how he feels about you, about me, about us, sinners? I think that would be a very important thing. And so we're fine from these uh, uh, stories that Jesus tells. By the way, these stories are told in all one, effectively one sitting. Not, a, not over several days. This is one. These are three answers or three-tier answer to a single issue of the Pharisees thinking they were going to be the only ones in heaven. Jesus not only illustrates that they're not going to heaven, but a lot of people who they thought weren't going to be in heaven actually were going to be there. And so uh, that's what the story's about. The, the heart of the Father. Three classes of sinners that can be saved. The, the dumb sinner, the sinner that just fell on bad ways, and the wayward sinner who out of rebellion of his heart still is allowed to come back into the presence of God because of repentance. And then there's a fourth class of sinner that hardly very few consider, and that fourth class is the class of sinner who can't be saved because they think they already are. They're good enough for heaven. I'm going to get up to heaven. I'm going to tell Jesus to move over on the throne because I've earned my place there. I've been a religious person. I've been a good person. I'm better than most. That person will not be in heaven. That is what the story is about. That's what the whole story is about. Jesus starts talking to people who think they deserve heaven. And uh, that's not at all what the situation is. Look with me at verse 1 and 2, setting the context of these three parables. Like I said, he tells them all in one fell swoop. All the tax gatherers and sinners were coming near him to listen. What's wrong with that? Well, the Pharisees have a huge problem with that. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, These, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So, so heaven's going to be only a place for people who've never sinned. Is that correct? That's what the Pharisees thought. That's what they thought they were. And no place for sinners in heaven. So, so understand immediately the contradiction between the way they think and the way Jesus thinks. Jesus is the heart of God, right? What's the difference? Center, God is looking, he's populating. Did you realize that? God is populating heaven today with sinners, forgiven sinners. There are no other options. The Pharisees who thought they weren't sinners, of course, of course they were. I mean, wind up killing the Son of God. How big a sinner can you be? And then the rest of us who, who fall into one of these categories, who we're all sinners. Heaven's going to be populated, listen, just like hell. We populate with sinners. The difference between the two, there's only one difference. One is forgiven, the other one's not. And the difference between forgiveness and unforgiveness is repentance. Listen to the stories as Jesus tells them to us. He, who is God? What is the heart of the Father? Well, the heart of the Father is that he's hunting sinners. He tells the first parable here in verse 4. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep, and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture. Now, so already we have a problem because we have a cultural issue here. So 99 out of 100, what kind of score is that? That's an A+. I'm figuring, you know, dumb sheep just get what dumb sheep get. I'm going to let him go. See, that's, that's totally different than their culture. These sheep is property. Don't understand it as a score. Understand it as property. You go home today after church and 1% of your property is missing. Are you not going to go looking for it? Are you not going to ask questions? 1% of your car is removed when you go out after church. That happens, by the way, sometimes here, just so you know. <laughs> stuff, stuff happens. 
We have a safety team to try to keep that from happening. Sometimes people just open their car doors. All kinds of things happen, missing a tailgate or, you know, a taillight or whatever. Uh, uh, 1% of your property is missing. Will you not be concerned? Absolutely. So it's a totally different way of looking at things. So of course they would do this. Of course they would. Will he not go and find it? Verse 5, and when he has found it, when he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors. This is extremely common. They would have totally understood this. Their lives revolved around agriculture and, and animals. Calls his neighbors together and say, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you, here's the part they didn't know. The heart of the Father. Again, what's the purpose of these parables? So they can know about sheep? No! They know about sinners. They know about sheep. They know about shepherds. They know about women. They know about coins. They know about sons who run off, all that stuff. They don't know the heart of the Father. Here's the heart of the Father, verse 7. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. What, what is, how did the sheep get lost? Being stupid. Sheep, they, they're born stupid, they live stupid, they die stupid, they're just stupid. That's just the way they are. A sheep gets lost by doing this. He's got his head down the grass, he's just eating because that's what they do. Eating along, looks up, holy cow, what happened to the rest of the sheep? Where's my shepherd? I'm lost. I told you last time, or the last, I think it was last time before, sheep don't look for a way back because that doesn't occur to them. But you get lost and you know, well, I've got to follow the rules. You stay where you are, you look for the light, you follow the sun, you know where the northern star is, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Look for the highest point on a hill, you know, try to go to that place, you go up to that place. Sheep don't think like that. Sheep look around, they don't see the other sheep, they don't see the shepherd, they don't have a plan. They just go plop down on the ground. And they stay there, and they will die right there if someone doesn't come and find them. So this sheep got lost because he's dumb. So that's the first class of the sinner, the average sinner. How many dumb people made dumb mistakes, stuff you just didn't know? It wasn't like you understood this was wrong. It was just because of the culture that you were in, the lifestyle you were involved with, the people you were running with, and you went into stuff that you shouldn't have done. But it wasn't like from the beginning you said, I know this is wrong. We do a lot of dumb sins. It's a sin nonetheless. So here's, first of all, you have this example of a dumb sinner. He, he's, he's gotten himself in a bad way because he didn't know any better. 99 persons, by the way, who need no repentance. Have you ever known a person who needs no repentance? There is no such thing. There is no such thing. So what Jesus does for us here is he classifies sinners into two groups. By the way, they're classified another way, heaven and hell. Sinners in both places. Just as big as sinners in both places. One is forgiven, one isn't. He classifies them this way, though. Listen to what he says. There's sinners that God rejoices over because they repent and come back to him. And there are sinners that God cannot rejoice over. Which category are you? Which category? So first of all, we have the average sinner, like a dumb sheep, just got himself in a bad way and didn't know a way to get home. And then the next group we have here is the mindless sinner. This is the, law, the story of the lost coin. How does a coin get lost? No fault of its own. Somebody dropped it. It rolled into a corner. It fell into a crack. The, the coin had no power over it. Some, sometimes we have the same kind of situation. We can't help the family we're born in. We can't help the community that we were born in. We can't help the circumstances of uh, financial and social situations we were born in. There's just, uh, we're born into sin. Same has happened with this coin. Let's, let's keep reading here in verse 8. What woman, 
If she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? Of course she would. Of course. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I lost. Of course she would. And here's the part that they didn't know. Again, what's the point of these parables? The heart of the Father. Not lost stuff. They've lost stuff. Do, do you need to be told what happens when you lose money? You go looking for it. Of course you don't need to know that stuff. What you don't need to know, I need to know, is the heart of the Father. In the same way, I tell you, there will be joy in the presence of the angels of God. Notice, the angels aren't doing this. They're watching this. The angels are the audience. God is the performer. Did you know that about God? In the same way, I tell you, there will be joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. God rejoicing. God singing his heart out over a person who's turned from their sinful ways and turned back to him for salvation. Is that the picture you have of God? Jesus is telling you who God is. And if your picture of what God is and what Jesus says he is differ, may I suggest to you that you make a change? For sure. So he gives us the story of this lost coin, which is the second-class sinner, this mindless sinner, this person who's fallen into bad ways through no fault of his own. Why, why do we assign value to money? Can you tell me why we call a green piece of paper that has a 20 on it 20 times more valuable than a green piece of paper that has a 1 on it? What's the difference between these two pieces of paper? $1 bill, $20 bill, this one's 20 times more valuable than this one. Same piece of paper. It's the same ink. And I, and I mean, again, careful to say, it is only a paper. You know that, right? Why, why do we assign value to this? Why do we swap goods? Why do we swap labor for pieces of paper? Because we've decided... We collectively decided, and that's all that it is. You realize our financial system just simply hangs on our, what we've assigned value to? Just pieces of paper. We've assigned value to pieces of paper. One, because it has a 20 on it, is 20 times more valuable than one that has a 1 on it. So now, with that thought in mind, let me ask you this question. Why are you valuable to God? Let me just say this very carefully. I cannot think of a single reason. Why you or I should matter to God. There's not one. There's many reasons why we shouldn't. An, an endless list. There's not one reason within us that we should matter or be valuable to God. The value, although this is a story about us, right? And the heart of God toward us. God assigns value to us. Guess where he finds that value? Right here. Again, you need to know the heart of the Father. God has put a very high price on you. He's decided that you're valuable to him, despite all that you've done, despite all, all the ways that you've sinned against him. God has decided that you're valuable to him, and he will search for you. He will find you, because he's assigned value to you. You need to know that. Jesus is telling you this story, because you and I do not know the heart of the Father. So now we come to the, now that's just the introduction. Now we've got a whole hour, right? I haven't been here in three weeks. Now we come to the, the main course, if you will. So he tells these two precursory stories. And by the way, I, I failed to say, but, I would, but we need to understand them this way. I think we do, at least. I'm the one preaching anyway, so we're going to do it. So uh, 
The first two stories are what I would call of course you would stories. Of course, if you were in this culture, you understood that if you lost one of your sheep, you would go hunt for them, even though you had 99 that hadn't strayed. Of course you would do that. Of course, if you're a woman in this culture, unable to earn any money, and you had 10 coins, and you lost one of them, you would, you would hunt for that coin until you found it. You just, of course you would. The third story is completely different. These are, of course you would, of course you would. The third story of the prodigal son is, of course you wouldn't. Nothing about this story would have ever happened in this culture. The first two, two or he, he pulls them in. He's a master storyteller. He pulls them in with, with, with uh, basically stories that they would have been, without thinking, they would have gone hunting for the sheep. Without thinking, they would have hunted for the coin. This next story, though, is completely against anything they would have ever done. You would have never seen it in this culture. It's totally opposite of the way that they thought, the way they would have practiced. It's opposite of the way a son would have performed, opposite of the way the father would have performed. Nothing about it rings true for them. He's really got their attention. So listen to the story. So first of all, it is a story about a man with two sons, verse 11. That's what it's about. A certain man with two sons, of course, both of these sons are sinners. And both of these illustrations of two different classes of sinners, one who's forgiven and one who isn't. But the problem is, and again, the focus is not the sons. We tend to talk, we title it the prodigal son. We talk about the prodigal son. Do you, do you need more information on a prodigal? Anybody here? You have no idea what a prodigal is. No, no idea what it means to, to know the right thing to do and then not do it. All the while knowing it was wrong. Or to know the wrong thing to do and to do it anyway. Anybody need any more information than that? Are we like, you've just never sinned before? You've been perfect up to this point. I can, I can run church member, starting with a pastor, after church member up here to tell you testimonies of how stupid they've been, the decisions they've made, and the, the things that they regret, regret. We don't need more information on sinners, do we? That's not what the story's about. The story is not, a, not, it's not about telling you what sin is like. You already know this. What you don't know is how God feels about sinners. That is the thing that we need to know. This is a story about a man with two sons, but the story is ultimately about the heart of the father. It's the heart of the father we don't know. Not prodigals. We know prodigals. I can name a hundred of them without even thinking. And this one, and this one, and this one, and this one. I'm related to this one. I was this one, and this and that. We know what prodigals are. We don't know what it means to forgive prodigals. We don't know how God feels about prodigals. That is why Jesus is telling us this story. So, so he begins this story catches that he's got their attention already but as soon as he starts with the what happens here they are going to lose it verse 12 a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father father give me the share of the estate that falls to me of course he wouldn't do that that would never happen that would never happen the only way that goods inheritance passed from one generation to the next was that the older generation had to pass away what he's effectively saying is, you're hanging on too long, Dad. I've been needing you to die. Very, very shameful and disrespectful. That would never happen in this culture. It would never happen. It just, not, not that somebody necessarily wouldn't think of it, they would just never do it because there was so much pressure. The shame and honor of the culture was so powerful that you, you may think it, but you would have never said it. This would have never happened. This is a story, like I said, of course they wouldn't do this. And even adding to that is what the father does. Notice in the rest of verse 12. Divide me the state, 
and the father divided his wealth between them. That would have never happened. It would have never happened. So let's say the rare occasion, the out, I mean, outlying possibility that a son would ever, even though he may think it, would ever come to his dad and say, divide the inheritance among me. I wish you were dead, but you're not. But I don't care. I want my stuff, and I'm going to leave. That would have never happened in this culture. But if he ever did, the father would never do what he asked. I want you to understand that. That would have never happened. So this is not a story well, automatically we know, not a story about a real man in this culture or a real son. He's talking about a different father and son. And notice in this father-son relationship, as opposed to the Middle East where this was in the first century, where this son actually technically doesn't have any free will. You see, I can want my stuff from my dad, but he's not going to give it to me. See, free will is I make a decision and I get to follow through with the consequences of that decision. He doesn't have the freedom. You can ask your dad for your stuff. He's not giving it to you. This is a culture where that doesn't happen. Of course it wouldn't happen. But the story is not about the Middle East. It's about a relationship between the heavenly father and a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter down here. And in that relationship, listen to me carefully, you do have free will. That ought to scare you. God lets you do what you want to do. God put in the Garden of Eden a tree where Adam and Eve had to make a choice. And of course, we know they chose bad. But see, there can't be a relationship unless there's a choice. See, if all you have is me, okay, we're on a deserted island. It's just me and you, honey, and you would pick me. Well, what other option does she have? None. If there's no garden, no tree in the garden, Adam and Eve don't have a choice. There's no relationship. There's no love. So understand, in the relationship with God, even though God is sovereign, and believe me, He could take away your choice. We could all be robots. He could do whatever He wanted to. He's completely sovereign. But He's decided in His sovereignty and not affecting His sovereignty at all that you and I have a choice to make, and He will honor that. Like I said, it should scare you. God will honor your yes. He will honor your no. So here's another categorization of the two kinds of sinners. Heaven is going to be full of sinners who said yes to God and with regards to repentance. And hell is going to be full of sinners who said no to God. And God respected both answers. Wow. A lot of weight on us. That's what this story is about. A child who said yes and a child who said no. And so notice what he does. Again, he adds to the of course you wouldn't scenario here. He asks for his father's stuff. His, his portion of it. His father divides it to him. Of course he wouldn't do that. And then verse 13, of course he wouldn't add to all the stupid stuff he's done already by doing this. Watch. And not many days later, he, the younger son gathered everything he had together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. You understand, most of us here who have assets, all of us here who have some level of assets, most of our stuff is relatively liquid. We don't necessarily own that much property. Anybody here own most of your monies in sheep and goats and ducks and chickens and goldfish? Anybody here? Some, some people. Very few of us. We're very much not agrarian. Most of our stuff is in stocks, it's, which, by the way, not very liquid either. Bonds, uh, uh, checking, checking accounts, uh, savings accounts. Uh, uh, maybe some property. My wife and I own a little property. I don't know if we could, how liquid that stuff would be. But you understand, in these days, they didn't have anything in cash. 
So, so the fact that he gathers everything together, so, so we are, are we to believe, maybe here's what I want you to understand, are, are we to believe that he's gotten all his goats, chickens, ducks together, he's, he's, ta- he's gotten a bulldozer and picked up his piece of land, and, and, cart, and all the wheat and corn in a, in, a, in a semi-trailer and loaded it all on a train and took it to a foreign country. No, that's not what he did. What he's done is he's liquidated. He's had a fire sale. So not only has he asked for stuff that he should never have asked for, now he's depreciated because if I sell stuff over a weekend, no matter what the price, guess what price I get? You know how shameful that is? So, so where did he get this stuff from? Great-granddad. Granddad. Father. Grandmothers. Great-grandmothers who worked and toiled and saved and poured their lives into this property and these things. And, and, and to liquidate all that over effectively a weekend, he sold it at a very depreciated value. So you understand the word burning, or I should say the, the phrase burning bridges? Anybody here ever burned a bridge that you wish you could have crossed? Well, this guy's burning down the Golden Gate Bridge. He's never coming back. He's done already by simply asking for his stuff basically saying i wish you were dead and now in front of everyone in his hometown among all of his relatives he's had a fire sale for what his grandfather and great-grandfather and great-great-grandfather have worked for all these years he sold it at a very depreciated value just so he could have liquid cash coins and head off and do whatever he wants to with he has burned down the golden gate bridge he's not coming back he has no plans. He wants nothing to do with anything that they have. And he's fully aware in doing that. He's completely aware of the rules. So he's not like the first two sinners. He's not like the dumb sheep who just got herself lost because she didn't know any better. He's not like the coin who just, because of someone else's fault, rolled into a crack. No, this is a guy who knows all the rules and does the opposite anyway. Anybody known anybody like that? Any of you ever been a person like that? So here's a searching question. How did you get here? You got this, you know, Bible-thumping Baptist preacher, half-bald, just came back from Israel, is jet-lagged. There's a lot of other places you could be in the world. Why are you here? Let me just, let me just describe your life to you. God found you. That's why you're here. God went out and found you. You were not looking for him. You had no intentions. When you walked away from God, you had, you had no intentions whatsoever going back, did you? No intentions. You had every intention. I'm going to break all the rules because that's what I want to do, and nobody can stop me, and they didn't. You got to fulfill whatever it was, the seeds you were going to sow. You got to do that, and yet here you are. What happened? God found you. God found you. You didn't find him. He wasn't lost, right? You were lost. God knows how to yank our chain, doesn't he? He knows how to bring us back. And in fact, that's what he did. This is the story. This is the story. So, so we have a God, and the heart of our God is that he loves sinners and loves when they come home. Let's keep reading. So he goes and liquidates everything, verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country, and he began to be in need. Uh-oh. He went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. This is a Jewish boy. He's out feeding pigs. And notice what he's feeding them. 
He longed to fill his stomach with the pods. These were carob pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything. We were just, did I, did I mention we just got back from Israel? We just got back from Israel. One of the, every, I love going in the fall because uh, interesting things are ripe over there. The dates are ripe, the olives are ripe. Just so you'll know, just for the record, I got several people on our trip to eat ripe olives. It was great. Just does my heart so good to trick somebody into doing something like that. It is the nastiest stuff. It's the, by far the, but if you go with us on the trip, I'm going to talk you into it, so don't worry, it's going to be fun. One of the things that's ripe over there this time of year are these beautiful, they look like oak trees, but they're actually carob trees. They've got beautiful leaves, they've got a big, tall, hardwood uh, trunk and everything on them, but they grow these long beans, sort of similar to a mesquite bean if you're from Texas or South Texas, you know what I'm talking about, they're, but they're black. And these carob beans is the exact beans that he's talking about eating here, and they're feeding the swine. They couldn't feed them anything else because nothing else would eat them. And the guy that we were with, he says, have you ever smelled one of these? I said, no. He said, break one of them open and smell it. Do you know what it smells like? Poop. <laughs> We're not talking about a rotted one. I'm talking about a fresh one. The kind, the same one that this guy was longing to eat. So he's at the bottom. Like everything else is better. This is the last that there is. There is no other. In fact, the, the, one of the rabbinical uh, sayings is when Israelites are reduced to carob pods, then they repent, because there's nothing else. There's, you're on the bottom, your face is on the floor, you're eating the last thing that anybody, including the pigs, would ever eat. It's the complete leftovers. There's nothing else for you. He's all the way down there. He was completely shamed. He's defiled himself. He's become completely unredeemable in his own eyes and the eyes of his culture. So, so he... he uh, he does what he does, verse 17, but when he had come to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands? He's finally come to his senses. Mark that carefully. So, so in order to come to his senses, means what? That he had senses before, that he left those senses, and now he's come back to those senses. He had them, left them, come back to them. The, the first two happened to all of us, don't they? Taught right? Didn't do right, but have you come back? See, that's the difference. Hell is going to be full of the people who did the first two. Taught right, didn't do right, never came back. Taught right, didn't do right, but came back in repentance. And those, the scripture says, God rejoices over them. Completely ashamed, he's not like the previous two who didn't have real sense. He knew in every way what he was doing. Here we have Romans 10, 1, uh, 20 and 21. For even though they knew God, they know what's right. They did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their reasonings and their senseless hearts were darkened. It's just the way that we do. It's the way of rebellion. We know, like I said, we don't need to under, be told any more about rebellion. We understand it. We do. It's the heart of the Father toward the rebels that we need to know. He said to himself, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, and I'm dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and I have sinned in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Why doesn't he ask to be a slave? See, we, we don't understand their culture. See, to be a slave actually is above being a hired person. See, if you're a slave, the owner owns you which means you can't make your own decisions, but it also does mean that you get food provided for you and shelter provided for you. 
To be a hired person meant you didn't know from day to day whether you would even have a job or ever eat. So he's actually not asking for a higher level position. He's asking for the bottom. He's not uppity at all. He's asking for the very, very bottom, and, and he's going to go to the Father, and he's going to ask this. And so he's asking for, for what he wants. I mean, uh, uh, he, he's going to be, he's going to go back because he has no choice. The only way he's going to live anymore is to humble himself. He's not going to live. He's not going to make it. He's eating carapods. He's not going to live any other way. I'm dying here, he says in verse 17 of this hunger. I will go back to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against your, in, in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. And he got up and came to his father. That's repentance, by the way. That's, I'm going this way, and I turn and go this way. That's what repentance is. Have you repented? Have you repented? Have you turned away from whatever you thought was going to save you, whatever was going to make you right in the eyes of God, and you've turned now to God and say, God, I'm just a sinner. I need to be forgiven. Have mercy on me. That's what God is waiting for from you, if you haven't done that yet. That is what he's waiting for. He would have never been allowed back. And Here's the things that happen in this culture. He would have never been allowed back. Oh, he could have come back and lived. But he would have been the whipping boy of the whole town for the rest of his life. He would have never been forgiven. See, the way he shamed them so badly by doing this, the only way they're going to redeem themselves is to pour shame on him for the rest of his life. That's the way this culture worked. And he was going to be the person whom parents would point to day after day saying, don't be like him. Look what happened to him. This is what happens to rebels. And he would have lived in this condition for the rest of his life. He would have never been allowed back into his father's house, probably for years, if ever. Here, here's, by the way, here's just a cultural insight for you, because it's totally different than what happens in the story. But, but David, King David, right, he had a rebel son. He had several of them. In this case, it was Absalom. Absalom kills one of his own brothers and goes away to a foreign land, begs to be able to come back, and David doesn't allow him to, at least initially. But when he does, notice what he says about Absalom. And he says, and David said, he shall return to his own house, but he shall not see my face. That's the culture. That's not the story. That's, that's a snapshot of the culture. So Absalom returned to his own house, and he did not see the king's face. That's the culture. When you sin like that, you're not coming back. And you can come back to the town, but you're not going to be reinstated. That didn't happen. Of course this didn't happen. This kind of stuff doesn't happen. Again, he's not talking about any earthly relationship. He's talking about a relationship between a heavenly father and a rebel's heart. That's the part that we need to know. That, by far, is far more important. So uh, the ultimate, of course you wouldn't, moment happens here in verse 20. He got up and came to his father. While he was still a long ways off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Again, notice here, David, great man. Man after God's own heart did not do that with his son. This is not a story about even the greatest men. This is a story about God and how God treats us. He's not like us. He loves sinners. He loves those who have squandered all of his stuff, turned their back on him, said they hated him, wished he was dead. He, believe it or not, loves those people, wants more than anything for them to come back and be his. This is the story of the heart of a father, maybe that we never knew before. He runs and embraces him and kisses him. And, said, and his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. 
I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quick, bring up the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and he has been found and they began to be merry. Something, again, a, a list of things that would have never happened. One of the things, most importantly, you need to understand, fathers didn't run. Moms didn't either. Ever. One of the main reasons why they didn't is because they wear these long flowing robes. Did I tell you we went to Israel? They still dress like that. The Arabs, right? The Muslims, they still have these long flowing robes. I've never had a long flowing robe and never worn a dress. I'm not going to, ladies, so don't worry about it. Is it hard, ladies, if you have a dress down to your ankles to take off running? Well, it's not hard, it's just not wise. You're going to plan it, aren't you? Your face. So, so in order to run, you understand, understand the principle. He's got long flowing robes. He's got to gather up the robes, which means what? You get to see his legs. You know, in the Middle East, you don't see people's legs. I can't get mine to go down now, but... You don't get to see people's legs because they wear these long flowing. They have a very much of an aversion to skin exposure. The, the very, the very uh, uh, um, uh, strict rules for women, all you see is just this little slit. You've seen the pictures, right? They dress like that. They walk around like that. Hot weather, cold weather makes the difference because they have an aversion to skin. So, so understand this, what's happening here. For the father to run, he's going to be dressed in Middle Eastern garb. He's had to pull up his robes and show you his legs. That didn't happen in this culture. They had slaves that did that. They had children that did that. But a father, a matriarch, a patriarch, you never saw his legs, ever. It's very shameful, very disrespectful. So notice what the father's doing. He's taking shame for the sake of the son. He's taking shame on himself. This, this whipping boy, this child that was going to be pointed out for the rest of his life, shame on you, right? Now the father is taking the shame upon himself. Again, what is he telling us? Relationship between God and us. What has God done for you? He's taking his shame. It's, it's a shameful thing, don't you think, to let sinners like you and me into heaven? God doesn't care. It's a shameful thing for a father to pull up his robes and show his legs. The father doesn't care. The heart of the parable is the heart of the father. He felt compassion. He ran. He embraced. He, he kissed. He reinstates full the son based upon what? Repentance. Because he turns back, he's welcomed in. All that stuff that he did is erased because he repents. That's an amazing story. Did you know that about God? Here's what you need to know also about God, that some of the people that are clo seemingly closest to him are not going to make it. Watch what happens to this second son. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came, he approached the house, and he heard music and dancing, and he summoned, who, who, are, who is this person? This is the Pharisees. This is the scribes. The people who think they don't need to repent. They think they're close to God. Summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what are these things might be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf. And because he's received him back safe and sound, he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began entreating him. But he answered and said to him, look, for as so many years I've been serving you and I've never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a kid that I might be married with my friends. But when this son of yours who came who has devoured your wealth with harlots, you killed the fattened calf. He, he's, he doesn't understand 
Well, I guess we don't understand. He doesn't owe anything to this son. He can take all of his wealth and give it to none of his sons if he wants to. See, this son is totally dependent upon his good graces, but he thinks he deserves it. No, I deserve this from you. I've served you. I've been in church. Here's your relationship with God. I've done the right things. I've read the Bible. I've prayed. I deserve to be in heaven. No, you don't. Not unless you come in repentance as a sinner. You won't make it. This is the story. The final part of the story is the sad part of the story. Is you have a sinner here who can't be forgiven because he thinks he doesn't need to be. Nothing God can do for a person like that. There's no answer for a person like that. Oh, yeah, maybe you are better than most. That's great. I'm, that's awesome. Kudos to you. But our, what, it's not how you are compared to others. It's how you are compared to God. He's a holy God who's never sinned, never even thought sinful things. And you cannot come to him without repentance. Without a need of forgiveness. Do you not think you need to be forgiven? The son doesn't think so. And so he wants nothing to do with the father. And he has nothing to understand. understands nothing about the heart of the father. Father loves sinners. He loves it when they repent. So the father didn't leave him anything because he didn't have to necessarily. And the most amazing part of the story, at least to me, is the last verse. Notice what he says here. So this son has come home and he once was, he was dead and now is alive again. Verse, verse 32. That we had to be merry and rejoice. I wasn't aware that God had to do anything. Were you aware of that? God doesn't have to do anything he doesn't want to do or any imperative that he doesn't place upon himself. So this is something God's putting upon himself. We had to be merry and rejoice. For your brother's brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. He was lost and has been found. Heaven's going to be a place of rejoicing over sinners like you, like me, who come to the place of repentance, who know that they cannot save themselves, who know that God loves them and is seeking for them, know that God's done everything to the point of sacrificing his own son to pay for their sins. So all your shame was placed upon God himself on the cross, hung naked, dying dead on a cross for you so that you could have all the shame removed and all the righteousness of Christ put upon your life and be accepted by God. How much does he love us? How much? Great is the love of God for us. He only has to do what he decides to do. He decides that he's going to search for sinners. And he's going to rejoice when they repent. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we think about these things. Have you come in repentance to God? I'm not asking you if you've prayed a prayer or been to church or read the Bible or felt bad about the things that you've done. I'm saying have you come to God as a sinner saying just like this son did, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy of anything that you've done for me. Please forgive me. Have you repented? Have you trusted the only way that we can be saved from those sins is the shame that Jesus took for us on the cross? Have you done that? See, the heart of the Father... The heart of the Father is that you do. He wants you to be with Him. He's going to populate heaven with people just like you. No matter what you've done, how far you've strayed, how well you knew the rules and didn't obey them, there is a path open for you to come home. God is calling you today. Will you listen to Him? 
Heavenly Father, I thank you that you search for sinners. This room is full of people because you search for sinners. You search for prodigals. You love those who have gotten themselves in a bad place, fallen into a crack, made some dumb decisions, gotten themselves lost, know no way back. You search for them. We're evidence of that. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for forgiving us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.